A Treatise on the Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards Join. What are distinguishing signs of truly gracious and holy affections? I come now to the second thing appertaining to the trial of religious affections which was proposed, to take notice of some things in which those affections that are spiritual and gracious do differ from those that are not so. But before I proceed directly to the distinguishing characters, I would previously mention some things which I desire may be observed concerning the marks I shall lay down. 1. That I am far from undertaking to give such signs of gracious affections as shall be sufficient to enable any certainly to distinguish true affection from false in others, or to determine positively which of their neighbors are true professors, and which are hypocrites. In so doing, I should be guilty of that arrogance which I have been condemning. Though it be plain that Christ has given rules to all Christians to enable them to judge a professors of religion whom they are concerned with, so far as is necessary for their own safety, and to prevent their being led into a snare by false teachers and false pretenders to religion, and though it is also beyond doubt that the scriptures abound with rules which may be very serviceable to pastors in counseling and conducting souls committed to their care, and things pertaining to their spiritual and eternal state. Yet, it is also evident that it was never God's design to give us any rules by which we may certainly know who of our fellow professors are his, and make a full and clear separation between sheep and goats, but that, on the contrary, it was God's design to reserve this to himself as his prerogative, and therefore no such distinguishing signs as shall enable Christians or ministers to do this are ever to be expected to the world's end. For no more is ever to be expected from any signs that are to be found in the word of God, or gathered from it, and Christ designed them for. Number two, no such signs are to be expected that shall be sufficient to enable those saints certainly to discern their own good state, who are very low in grace, or such as have much departed from God, and are fallen into a dead, carnal, and unchristian frame. It is not agreeable to God's design, as has been already observed, that such should know their good state, nor is it desirable that they should, but on the contrary, every way best that they should not. And we have reason to bless God that he has made no provision that such should certainly know the state that they are in any other way than by first coming out of the ill frame and the way they are in. Indeed, it's not properly through the defect of the signs given in the word of God that every saint living, whether strong or weak, and those who are in a bad frame as well as others, cannot certainly know their good state by them. For the rules in themselves are certain and infallible, and every saint has, or has had, those things in himself, which are sure evidences of grace, for every, even the least act of grace is so. But it is through his defect to whom the signs are given, there is a twofold defect in that saint who is very low in grace, or in an ill frame, which makes it impossible for him to know certainly that he has true grace by the best signs and rules which can be given him. First, a defect in the object, or the qualification to be viewed and examined. I do not mean an essential defect because I suppose a person to be a real saint, but a defect in degree, 
grace being very small, cannot be clearly and certainly discerned and distinguished. Things that are very small, we cannot clearly discern their form or distinguish them from another, though as they are in themselves, their form may be very different. There is doubtless a great difference between the body of man and the bodies of other animals and the first conception in the womb. But yet, if we should view the different embryos, it might not be possible for us to discern the difference by reason of the imperfect state of the object. But as it comes to greater perfection, the difference becomes very plain. The difference between creatures of very contrary qualities is not so plainly to be seen while they are very young, even after they are actually brought forth as in their more perfect state. The difference between doves and ravens or doves and vultures when they first come out of the egg is not so evident, but as they grow to their perfection, it is exceeding great and manifest. Another effect attending the grace of those I am speaking of, it is being mingled with so much corruption, which clouds and hides it. It makes it impossible for it certainly to be known, though different things that are before us may have in themselves many more thoroughly distinguish them one from another, Yet if we see them only in a thick smoke, it may nevertheless be impossible to distinguish them. A fixed star is easily distinguishable from a comet in a clear sky, but if we view them through a cloud, it may be impossible to see the difference. When true Christians are in an ill frame, guilt lies on the conscience, which will bring fear, and so prevent the peace and joy of an assured hope. Secondly, there is in such a case a defect in the eye. As for the feebleness of grace and prevalence of corruption, it obscures the object, so it enfeebles the sight. It darkens the sight as to all spiritual objects, of which grace is one of them. Sin is like some distempers of the eyes, to make things to appear of different colors from those which properly belong to them and like many other distempers that put the mouth out of taste, so it is to disenable it from distinguishing good and wholesome food from bad. But everything tastes bitter. Men, in a corrupt and carnal frame, have their spiritual senses in but poor plight for judging and distinguishing spiritual things. For these reasons, no signs that can be given will actually satisfy persons in such a case. Let the signs that are given be never so good and infallible and clearly laid down, that will not serve them. It is like giving a man rules how to distinguish visible objects in the dark. The things themselves may be very different, and their difference may be very well and distinctly described to him, yet all is insufficient to enable him to distinguish them because he is in the dark. And therefore many persons in such a case spend time in a fruitless labor, and pouring on past experiences, and examine themselves by signs they hear laid down from the pulpit, or that they read in books, when there is other work for them to do, that is much more expected of them, which while they neglect it, all their self-examinations are like to be in vain, if they should spend never so much time in them. The accursed thing is to be destroyed from their camp, and Achan to be slain, and until this is done, they will be in trouble. It is not God's design that men should obtain assurance in any other way than by mortifying corruption and increasing in grace and obtaining the lively exercises of it. 
And although self-examination be a duty of great use and importance, and by no means to be neglected, yet it is not the principal means by which the saints get satisfaction of their good state. Assurance is not to be obtained so much by self-examination as by action. The Apostle Paul sought assurance chiefly this way, even in forgetting the things that were behind and reaching forth to those things that were before, pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, if by any means he might attain to the resurrection of the dead. And it was by this means chiefly that he obtained assurance. 1 Corinthians 9.26 I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. He obtained assurance of winning the prize more by running than by considering. The swiftness of his pace did more towards his assurance of a conquest than the strictness of his self-examination. Giving all diligence to grow in grace by adding to faith, virtue, and so on, is the direction that the Apostle Peter gives us for making our calling and election sure and having an entrance ministered to us abundantly into Christ's everlasting kingdom, signifying to us that without this our eyes will be dim, and we shall be as men in the dark that cannot plainly see things past or to come, either the forgiveness of our sins past, or our heavenly inheritance that is future and far off, Second Peter 1, verses 5-11. to Therefore, though good rules to distinguish true grace from counterfeit, may tend to convince hypocrites and be of great use to the saints in many respects, and among other benefits may be very useful to them to remove many needless scruples and establish their hope. Yet, I am far from pretending to lay down any such rules. It shall be sufficient of themselves without other means to enable all true saints to see their good state or is supposing they should be the principal means of their satisfaction. Number three, nor is there much encouragement in the experience of present or past times to lay down rules or marks, to distinguish between true and false affections in hopes of convincing any considerable number of the sort of hypocrites who have been deceived with very great false discoveries and affections and are once settled in a false confidence and high conceit of their own supposed great experiences and privileges. Such hypocrites are so conceited of their own wisdom, and so blinded and hardened with a very great self-righteousness, but very subtle and secret, under the disguise of great humility, and so invincible a fondness of their pleasing conceit of their great exaltation, that it usually signifies nothing at all to lay before them the most convincing evidences of their hypocrisy. Their state is indeed deplorable, and next to those who have committed the unpardonable sin. Some of this sort of persons seem to be most out of the reach of means of conviction and repentance. But yet, the laying down good rules may be a means of preventing such hypocrites, and of convincing many of other kinds of hypocrites, and God is able to convince even this kind, and his grace is not to be limited, nor the means to be neglected. And besides, such rules may be of use to the true saints to detect false affections which they may have mingled with true, 
and be a means of their religions becoming more pure and like gold tried in the fire. Having premised the things, I now proceed directly to take notice of those things in which true religious affections are distinguished from false. Number one, affections. Did are truly spiritual and gracious arise from those influences and operations on the heart which are spiritual, supernatural, and divine? I will explain what I mean by these terms, from which will appear their use to distinguish between those affections which are spiritual and those which are not so. We find the true saints, or those persons who are sanctified by the Spirit of God, are in the New Testament called spiritual persons, and their being spiritual is spoken of as their peculiar character, and that in which they are distinguished from those who are not sanctified. This is evident because those who are spiritual are set in opposition to natural men and carnal men. Thus, the spiritual man and the natural man are set in opposition one to another. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 14 and 15 The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things. The scripture explains itself to mean an ungodly man, or one that has no grace. By a natural man, does the apostle Jude, speaking of certain ungodly men that had crept in unawares among the saints, verse 4 of his epistle says, These are sensual, having not spirit. This the apostle gives as a reason why they behave themselves in such a wicked manner as he had described. Here the word translated sensual is the very same as that which in those verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is translated natural in a like manner. In a continuation of the same discourse in the next verse, but one, spiritual men are opposed to carnal men, which the connection plainly shows means the same as spiritual men and natural men in the foregoing verses. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal, in other words, as in a great measure unsanctified, that by carnal the apostle means corrupt, and unsanctified is abundantly evident by Romans 7 verse 25, Romans 8 verse 1, 4, 5, 6, 7 through 10, and 19. Now therefore, if by natural and carnal in these texts be intended unsanctified, then doubtless by spiritual, which is supposed to it, is meant sanctified and gracious. And as the saints are called spiritual in scripture, so we also find that there are certain properties, qualities, and principles that have the same epithet given them, so we read of a spiritual mind, Romans 8, verse 6 and 7, and a spiritual wisdom, Colossians 1, verse 9, and a spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Now it may be observed that the epithet, spiritual, in these and other parallel texts of the New Testament, is not used to signify any relation of persons or things to the spirit or soul of man. It's a spiritual part of man in opposition to the body, which is a material part. Qualities are not said to be spiritual because they have their seed in the soul and not in the body, for there are some properties that the scripture calls carnal or fleshly, 
which have their seat as much in the soul as those properties that are called spiritual. So it is with pride and self-righteousness, and a man's trusting to his own wisdom, which the apostle calls fleshly. Colossians 2 verse 18. Now are things called spiritual because they are conversant about those things that are immaterial and not corporeal. For so was the wisdom of the wise man and princes of this world conversant about spirits and immaterial beings, which yet the apostle speaks of as natural men, totally ignorant of those things that are spiritual, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But it is with relation to the Holy Spirit, or Spirit of God, that persons or things are termed spiritual in the New Testament. Spirit, as a word is used to signify the third person in the Trinity, is a substantive of which is formed the adjective spiritual in the Holy Scriptures. Thus, Christians are called spiritual persons because they are born of the Spirit, and because of the indwelling and holy influences of the Spirit of God in them. And things are called spiritual as related to the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 13 and 14, where things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Here the Apostle himself expressly signifies that by spiritual things he means the things of the Spirit of God and things which the Holy Ghost teaches. The same is yet more abundantly apparent by viewing the whole context. Again in Romans 8 verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. The apostle explains what he means by being carnally and spiritually minded in what follows in the ninth verse, and shows that by being spiritually minded, he means a heaven indwelling and holy influences of the Spirit of God in the heart, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be, the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The same is evident by all the context. But time would fail to produce all the evidence there is of this in the New Testament. And it must be here observed that although it is with relation to the Spirit of God and its influences that persons and things are called spiritual, Yet not all those persons who are subject to any kind of influence of the Spirit of God are ordinarily called spiritual in the New Testament. They who have the common influences of God's Spirit are not so called in the places cited above, but only those who have the special, gracious, and saving influences of God's Spirit. This is evident because it has been already proved that by spiritual men is meant godly men, in opposition to natural, carnal, and unsanctified men. And it is most plain that the apostle by spiritually minded, Romans 8 verse 6 means graciously minded. And all the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit which natural men might have are sometimes called spiritual because they are from the Spirit. Yet, natural men Whatever gifts of the Spirit they had were not in the usual language of the New Testament called spiritual persons. For it was not by men's having the gifts of the Spirit, but by their having the virtues of the Spirit, that they were called spiritual. 
as is apparent by Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Meekness is one of those virtues which the apostle had just spoken of in the verses next preceding, showing what are the fruits of the spirit. Those qualifications are said to be spiritual in the language of the New Testament, which are truly gracious and holy and peculiar to the saints. Thus, when we read a spiritual wisdom and understanding is in Colossians 1 verse 9, we desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. By this is intended that wisdom, which is gracious, and from the sanctifying influences of the Spirit of God, for doubtless by spiritual wisdom is meant that which is opposite to what the scriptures call natural wisdom, as a spiritual man is opposed to the natural man. And therefore, spiritual wisdom is doubtless the same with that wisdom which is from above, that the Apostle James speaks of in James 3 verse 17, the wisdom that is from above, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and so on. For this the Apostle opposes to natural wisdom, verse 15, this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual. The last word in the original is the same that is translated natural in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. So that, although natural men may be the subjects of many influences of the Spirit of God, as is evident by many scriptures, as Numbers 24 2, 1 Samuel 10 10, 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, Hebrews 6, verse 4, 5 and 6, and many others. Yet, they are not, in the sense of the scripture, spiritual persons. Neither are any of these effects, common gifts, qualities, or affections that are from the influence of the Spirit of God upon them called spiritual things. The great difference lies in these two things. 1. The Spirit of God is given to the true saints to dwell in them as his proper lasting abode, and to influence their hearts as a principle of a new nature, or as a divine supernatural spring of life and action. The scriptures represent the Holy Spirit not only as moving and occasionally influencing the saints, but as dwelling in them as his temple, his proper abode, an everlasting dwelling place, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16, he is represented as being there so united to the faculties of the soul that he becomes there a principle or spring of new nature and life. So the saints are said to live by Christ, living in them, Galatians 2 verse 20, Christ by Spirit, not only is in them, but lives in them, and so that they live by his life so is his spirit united to them as a principle of life in them. They do not only drink living water, but this living water becomes a well or fountain of water in the soul, springing up into spiritual and everlasting life, John 4 verse 14, and thus becomes a principle of life in them. This living water, this evangelist himself explains to intend the Spirit of God. Chapter 7 verse 38 and 39, the light of the Son of Righteousness does not only shine upon them, 
but is so communicated to them, that they shine also, and become little images of that sun which shines upon them. The sap of the true vine is not only conveyed into them, as the sap of a tree may be conveyed into a vessel, but as conveyed as sap is from a tree into one of its living branches, where it becomes a principle of life, the Spirit of God being thus communicated and united to the saints. They are, from this, properly denominated from it, and are called spiritual.